Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, it's great to see you. Look around the people sitting beside you and say, hey, you look good today. You look good today. It's good to see you. Those of you online, I'll just say you look good right there in your pajamas, in your jogging suit, whatever you have. Hope you got clothes on. But anyway, uh, I don't want to see you any other way, but it's good to see you today. Thank you so much. I digress, uh, but it's good to see you. We love you guys. Hey, wouldn't last week... Didn't Andrea and Pastor Miguel do an awesome job? You know, here at the Father's House, it's not all about me. It's not all about, well, people say, well, are you going to preach this week or who's going to preach? Look, it's not about me. This is not about me. It's about the Lord. So whoever teaches is supposed to be teaching that day. I mean, it's too much pressure on a 71-year-old man for people to say, we expect you to preach every week. Don't you miss a week missing all that? Well, you're at the wrong church. Uh, You need to go to Growth Track at 11 o'clock on the first, second, third, and fourth. Sunday, find out more about the Father's house. But here we've got some, um, some amazing teachers and some great teachers, and uh, we just really appreciate them. I, I learned so much last week. I listened to both teachings, and I learned something in every service. So it doesn't matter who's in this pulpit. What it matters is that you hear from God. So don't ever let the enemy twist you around like that, because if you do, one of these days I'm going to die. And then you'll be up a creek without a paddle. Well, I didn't, you know, no, no, it's all about the Father's house here. It's his, and he's got some great pastors here. We love what God is doing. Amen? Man, you look so good today. It's just so good to see you. Some of you are faithful. You're here every week. Some of you are here when you can. Some of you are brand new, and we're just so thankful. And if you haven't filled out a connection card, do that. Let us know your information, you know, uh, because that's how we communicate. We don't communicate with emails. We communicate with the connection card. If you have a prayer request, you put it on there because that helps us because that's the best way to do it that we found. So anyway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your love, your blessings. Thank you for the great worship today. Thank you for everyone that's here, those that are watching online. And Lord, I come to you and I ask you to anoint me with fresh oil. Uh, I can't rest in the anointing from the first service. It's what you would give me for this second service. Lord, don't let me say anything you didn't want me to say. Help me to say everything you want me to say. Holy Spirit, I'm leaning on you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, how many of you ever heard about the left-hand Whopper? You know, from the Burger King, have it your own way. Have you ever ordered a left-hand Whopper? This is a true story. In 1998, Burger King took out a full-page ad in the USA Today newspaper announcing a new item on their menu only in the United States, and it was called the left-handed Whopper. Especially designed for the 32 million left-handed people in the United States. It, the advertisement said it's the same ingredients, but all of the, th- of the things on the inside, the lettuce, the tomato, the hamburger, the patty, is rotated 180 degrees so that it works better for people that are left-handed. So... The very next day in the USA Today paper, Jim Watkins, who's the vice president of the marketing for Burger King, was quoted to say that the advertisement the day before on the Have It Your Own Way was just amazing. 
that people started coming into the restaurant saying, I want one of those left-handed whoppers. And others would come in and say, I want the right-handed whopper. And then he ran the article, said, just to remind you, yesterday was April Fool's Day, and that was only a joke. There is no such thing as the left-handed whopper. Well, how many of you today are left-handed? Raise your left hand. Wow, look at this. All the, about 12% of the population in the United States are left-handed. I don't know a lot about being left-handed in a right-handed world. I do know that it brings some challenges. So I've asked our resident lefty, Maggie, my assistant, what are some of the challenges that you face coming up in life or still face being left-handed in a right-handed world? She said, well, one of the big things is that when I'm writing, because that notebooks, the spiral and everything are the way they are, that when I'm writing, I actually get ink all over my hand because I'm trying to write. And she said, and the other thing is, when I'm trying to learn something from a right-handed person, it's very difficult because you got to reverse it. So she said, sometimes we have to learn it by looking in the mirror. And, and I thought, just some things on my own, I thought, well, how strange it would be learning how to drive a stick shift if you're left-handed. It was like I was in England several years ago, and a guy, a friend of mine had a 12-cylinder Jaguar, and he let me drive it. We went up on the Audubon into Germany, let me drive it, and it was really weird trying to shift with my left hand and drive fast on the Audubon. Drive fast on the Audubon, that's what it was. Or even, even thinking about in the, in the cars, all of our cup holders on the right-hand side, right? Everything is designed for that. And of course, I guess one of the biggest things for those of you who came through up through our school system is how many of our auditoriums and our desks were set up like this. Everything for the right-handed, nothing for the left. So the you that are lefties, remember those days when you had to lean all the way over and get a crook in your back to be able to write that, right? Left-handed issues. Now, we would live in a world that we would say, really, there's nothing tragically different in a left-handed person and a right-handed person. But in history, it was not always that way. If you were left-handed, in fact, Time Magazine in 1969, you can go back online and look at this, they ran an article and they talked about people that were left-handed. They also called them southpaws, Gallic handlers, cheeky paws, and scrammies, those are other words for people that are left-handed. But they said, in the Middle Ages, a left-handed person was often, uh, was often accused of practicing witchcraft because, the article went on to explain, people believed that the devil was a southpaw and that when they conjure up spells, they always conjure them up with a left hand. And in fact, there is a word, a phobia, sinistrophobia, there it is on the screen. It's, designed, it's defined as a fear at the left side or left-handed people. So today, we're going to see a story of a guy that was a left-handed judge. He was a person that would have been looked down on. Uh, he was a person that would have been ostracized. In fact, let me just ask you a question. If you're here today and you've ever feel like you've been looked down upon because maybe you're the way you look, where you were born, the color of your skin, if there ever was a time that you were considered less than somebody else or you didn't fit in 
or maybe even some of you who were bullied in school, picked on, because you were short, you were tall, you were fat, you were, you were not like somebody else. You know what that feeling is like, to feel like that everybody's picking on you, pushing you down. And so you're going to be able to identify with our hero today. This story is almost like a 007 James Bond story. It's almost like a Mission Impossible because today you're going to hear the story of Ehud, the left-hand assassin. So before we get in, let me just remind you the series that we've been in, The League of the Least Likely. If you haven't got your t-shirt, please get it. It opens up a door for you to witness. You know, I wear this, not this one, I wear the stinky one to the gym and uh, all of those. And so it opens up doors and you go places and people said last week, somebody asked someone, what's the League of the Least Likely? Guy, guy said, I'm so glad you asked. And then he went into a 20 minute witnessing time of talking about how God uses people that other people overlook. So get that and let it be a blessing to you. Because we talked about Jesus, the least likely rabbi. As a kid growing up, they thought he would never be the one, but aren't you glad he was? We talked about David, the skinny armed sheep herder that was left out. Wasn't nobody wanted to be with him, his parents, his dad even. Shamgar, remember? The unconventional deliverer that had the ox goad and brought deliverance. And then last week, Abigail and Mordecai, unseen, behind-the-scene heroes. And we've had a theme verse, verses, that we've looked at every week, and it'll be on the screen. Would you read them with me? Maybe just through the repetition. This series will go all the way through the end of the month. So maybe by just repetition, by the end of the month, you'll be able to say all of this together. Are you ready? We'll have a little quiz. No, we won't. Let's say it. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I didn't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chooses those nobodies to expose the haller pretension of the somebodies that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Yeah. So there's a great quote from Martin Luther uh, King Jr. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. That's the ultimate measure of a man. So today we're going to look at someone like that, and his name was Ehud. The story is found in Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. I'm not going to read it to you today. We don't even have the scriptures on the screen for you today. You don't see them in your notes today. So it's up to you to just take a listen. Because when the Bible was taught years ago, when it would have been in this time, it was taught by parents and leaders sitting around and just telling the story. This is what happened, and this is how it happened. And so today, that's what I'm, I would like for you to do. 
Uh, I'd like for you to read the story later in your Bible because you're going to find this is really an intriguing story that you want to reread because after I finish today, you're going to say, no way, Jose. That's really not in the Bible. There's no way that happened. So you're going to go home and you're going to read that this afternoon in Judges chapter 3. But what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to just tell you the story. So you can take whatever notes you want, observe, or maybe watch this again later to take notes, but I don't want you to feel like you have to struggle along looking at the scriptures, but I want you to hear the story. So we've been talking about children of Israel in the book of Judges. In the book of Joshua, they came into the promised land, but in the book of Judges, they're supposed to claim the territory. They're supposed to get out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Mosquitoites, the Cellulites. They're supposed to get all of those out. But what happens is they became accustomed to living with people that are sacrificing their kids to, God, to a false god. And, and they become adjusted, and they're not taking territory for God. And so as a result of that, sin comes into their life. And then after that, always there's sorrow because sin has consequences, right? So when we pick up our story today, it says, again, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of God because everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So what happened is, Everybody decided what was real for them. Well, that may be right for you, but it's not right for me. There's no moral truths. It's just like, whatever you want, that's how it is. I mean, is that a picture where the world is today? We, people say, well, you know, Jesus is good for you, but not for me. You know, that's good for you, but not for me. And, and they have all of those. There's no absolutes. So in a time like that, when there are no absolutes, no truth of God, there becomes chaos. And when there becomes chaos... It opens up a time that the enemy will begin moving in. And so the children of Israel find themselves in a consequence in which that a king by the name of Eglon, E-G-L-O-N, Eglon, uh, became the ruler over them. The scripture says that Eglon was very, very fat. And uh, you're going to find out how fat he is before we get the story finished today. But he rules and reigns over them for 18 years. So they've had deliverance prior to this, but now they've gone back into sin, and now they're in difficulty again, paying the consequences of sin. As a result of that, they cry out to God for deliverance. Now, Eglon, it's interested, he was a descendant of Lot's disgusting incest with his own daughters. That's who Eglon was. And Eglon is ruling and reigning. He's abs, abs, they actually took over the city of Jericho, where Joshua, the first city they conquered, and they came in, and now they're sitting there. He's under the palms doing all of that. So he, he required of them to pay tribute and to bring, bring tribute every year up to him. And uh, so the children of Israel then cry out, God, we're sorry. God, deliver us. God, help us, please. We don't like this. If you'll deliver us, we'll never do this again. And we'll see that happen seven times in this book of Judges. Uh, just like with us, you know, God, if you'll just deliver me. So they cry out to God. God, here's their prayer. And the scripture says that the Lord sent them a deliverer, a guy by the name of Ehud, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, 
If you had lived at that particular time and someone would have said, there's a left-handed deliverer that's going to deliver you, you'd say, no way, no way. God could never use a left-handed person to bring deliverance. He could use right-handed people, but he could never use a left-handed person. And besides that, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is the weakest, the smallest tribe of all. You know, he's part of that young kid of Jacob's, the wooziest of all. There's your new word, woozy. But every year, they had to bring up tribute money. The interesting thing about the word there, tribute money, in, uh, in the Hebrew is that it actually, tribute money, is the, same, um, is the same phrase that you would use for money that was supposed to be brought to God for worship. And now because they've moved away from God, for 18 years now, they haven't been bringing God the worship in the offering. And so for us, that probably would be like the tithe. The tithe, if we're a believer, if we become a covenant partner of the Father's house, we signed a document that said, I will be a faithful, consistent tither to God. So, so we're simply saying, I will bring the tribute to God. But what happened to them? What should have been a voluntary worship gift to God now becomes something compulsory that they have no control over. The king said, you will bring me that money. There will be no choice, nothing different. You will bring me that money. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, that's exactly what happens when we as a believer, I'm not talking to you that are not believers or not a covenant partner of the Father's house, but that's the very thing that happens to us that says, I, when we say, sign the thing as a covenant partner, I will be a faithful tither or giver. And then all of a sudden, we stop giving. Well, I, I've got this bill, I've got this difficulty, I've got this, I've got something else. And so we cease from doing that. Now what happens? You see, one way or the other, God says, why are you robbing me in tithe and offerings? The tithe will be released from your hands one way or the other. Either you bring it voluntarily to God or something breaks something happens. It's another sickness. It's another difficulty. Am I talking to you? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's something else. And now you say, I don't even have the money to bring a tribute to God in tithe because I spent it in so many other ways. So in essence, what God is saying, if you don't voluntarily bring it, I'll let situations come into your life that you'll lose. You will lose what you would have given voluntarily, but now you're holds to be able to do that, or you have to do it. So Ehud develops a plan. So what he does, he makes a, a sword, a, a little um, a dagger, 18 inches long, that's a two-edged sword, has sharp on both sides. He made it himself. He didn't find it. The scripture says he made it. So he makes the journey. He makes the journey to uh, Eglon, the king. Now, this king is really, really fat. What's that on Star Wars? What is that again? The, the big guy there? Job of the hut. He's like that. He's, catch this phrase, he's pussy fat. Does that give you a, direct, a, a description of that? Pussy fat. So Eglon is sitting on his throne. So Ehud comes and he devises a plan, a plan that God gave him. He's left-handed, but he's living in a right-handed world. So if you're right-handed, if, you if you were to hide a sword or a knife somewhere, where would it be? 
be on your left-hand side, right? Because you, you can, you're caught already. But it would be over here. So you grab it quick in there. So when you came in to the king, the guards would frisk, because there's a lot of people coming, so they wouldn't frisk you all over, but they would frisk your left side to see if there was a sword. You see, the very thing that ostracized Ehud is the very thing that God would use to bring deliverance. So Ehud comes before the king. He brings the tribute money, and he brings the money, and then he leaves with those that were helping him, and he's on his way back. And he says to the others, you guys go on, but I've got a message I need to give to the king. So he walks back in. And, of course, now they don't frisk him again, you know, because he was just there. And he's, 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 he's handicapped in the right hand in all probability, the way the Scripture says. Not just left-handed, but he's handicapped. Something is wrong with his right hand, according to Scripture, the way we look at it. So he comes back in, and he says to, to the king, fat Eglon, sitting on the throne, Sir, I have a secret message for you from God. Ooh, says Eglon. I love a secret message for me from God. So here's what he does. He doesn't suspect somebody with a dwarfed hand. He doesn't suspect that somebody that has a handicap, he doesn't suspect that somebody that has something wrong in their life could ever bring him danger. So notice what he says to all of his guards, to all the people, because he wants a secret himself. Everybody out. Go ahead, get out, get out, get out, get out. And so then the scripture says that he gets up from his throne. It doesn't say this, but you've you got to read into this. And so he waddles towards Ehud. And so Ehud does something like this with his dwarfed hand. Come close. So much that Eglon gets real close to him. To hear the secret. And so while he's there, Ehud reaches in very quickly to his right thigh, pulls out the 18-inch dagger, and drives it into the fat belly of the king. The scripture, you've got to read it this afternoon. The scripture said that it went in handle and all. And because of the fat of Eglon, the fat of Eglon sucked the dagger in to the inside of him. And out came his bowels and his everything else in there. Do I need to go any farther? And it was there, and he lay dead on the ground. So now Ehud has a problem. He's on the second floor. How do you escape? So he goes over and he locks the door where the guards are, and then he figures out how's he going to escape. Now, in the English translation, we have a difficulty with what happens here next. Some translations say, and he escaped. But many of the later translations that understand what's there will say this. He escaped through the latrine. Latrine. So you say, well, what do you have? Well, in that time, we didn't have flushable toilets, all right? They didn't have those. Some of them had pots in the room. Uh, some of them had outhouses. How many of you were raised in life, you had an outhouse? You know what I'm saying, okay, there's three of us. The rest of you need to look it up online. Can you imagine, in Florida heat, as hot as it is, and you gotta go, 
And when you go out to the outhouse, there's nothing but bees and wasps and flies and smell and stink and stench. It'd make you, make you not want to go, wouldn't it? Or if you lived in the north like us, you shovel a pathway out there. And then everything is cold, baby. Everything is cold. So, that's a picture. But the king didn't have an outhouse. He had one inside of his throne room. So he had one throne room that he sat on, and he had another throne that he sat on to do different business, all right? So what would happen is the crap would go down a hole, a pipe, and several things would happen. Uh, it may be that it would just go straight down the ground, and the next day, one of the servants would scoop it all up and get rid of it. But many of them had a, 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 a door on the other side. So the king would go in, sit on the throne, do his business, and it would catch on the door. This is in the Bible, right? Some of the guys are saying, yeah, give me more. You haven't heard it all yet. So then a servant would come out the next day and he would open up the door and he would clean all of that out. Well, the best that we can figure out, and the best that Bible scholars are saying, is that the only way out for Ehud was he went down the latrine door through stuff and escaped. So, but the story doesn't end. Now the guards are outside. Outside, and they're waiting, and they're thinking, man, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? And you got to read this in the Bible. And it says, one of them said, well, maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on the other throne because they're smelling something. What they're smelling is that his bowels had already fallen out. And Whew, he's really got to go today. You see, you didn't know this stuff is in the Bible. Some of you are cheating yourself because you have no idea you don't read the Bible. And so they're smelling and they're waiting. They're tapping the thing and say, no, he's been gone too. He, he's been too long. Something's up. So they get the key and they open the door. And when they open the door, there's the fat king dead. But by now, our hero, 007 agent Ehud, the left-handed assassin, has already escaped back to the hill country. And when he gets there, he blows the trumpet for all the warriors, and they gather to him, and he said, hey, God has given us victory over the Moabites. Let's go get rid of them. Aren't you tired of being in bondage? They said, yeah, let's go, let's go. And so they go after the Moabites, and they kill 10,000 of them, and the Moabites flee, and the Amorites and all the others leave. And so there's now a period of 40 years of peace because of a man that used what he had to be used of God. Wow, isn't that a great story? But now let me tell you some observations I see from this. And I'll tell you one that Pastor Tim just shared with me that I didn't see. That's a good one. I really like that. I should have had it. These are just some observations I see from this story, okay? Can I give you some observations? We have to realize as we're looking at all these league of the least likelies that sometimes God uses unusual people and unusual means to accomplish his purpose. Some of you sitting here, God used unusual means and unusual people to bring you to the Lord. Right? I've heard those stories. 
Some of you told those stories of how I can't believe this happened and that person and this person and that. And you say, oh, that's how God used to bring me here. Second of all, Ehud not only accepted his left-handedness, but he was willing to use his left-handedness for God. Wow. What others thought would make him less than became a tool that he could use for God. Some of us need to accept our own weaknesses and our own limitations and our own failures. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. You can turn, with God's help, a disability into a possibility. You can turn a weakness into a strength. You can turn a failure into something that God can use for his glory. But you first of all have to admit and accept that's who I am. When Anita tells some of her life story, I mean, sometimes I'm just in awe. I'm thinking, how could any one person live so vile? And I saw some of the pictures before she burned them. So how, how could that be? But I'll never forget what she told me. Even as a new believer, she said, what I realize is everything I've been through makes me who I am now. I'm telling you, yeah, you got to, I'm telling you, some of the greatest people I know that are used of God have had some of the greatest failures in their life, have had some of the greatest setbacks in their life, but they're willing to bring it to God and simply say, God, if there's any way you can use this, would you use it, Lord? Would you use it, Lord? That's, that's how I'd like for you to do. Here's another thing. What others were willing to just accept as a status quo, Ehud was not going to accept that. Everybody else, that couldn't, that nobody wanted to be part of the army. Nobody wanted to do anything. You know, I want to start something. Nobody wants to be part of it. So what does Ehud do? He, what does Ehud does, do, do? Uh, it sounded weird, but anyway, what does he do? Do. <laughs> yeah, he went down. Yeah, anyway. He does it himself. How did he do it? I think God gave him the inspiration. I think God said to him, what the king will see as your inability, I will use for your ability. What is it for you? It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that you're not feeling condemnation. But for the first time in a long time, you're feeling like, you know what? Maybe what I've been through, maybe what I've been through is a setup for what God wants to do in my life to bring other people around for his kingdom. Perhaps God is not finished with me. Perhaps God still has something for me. But perhaps he's saying to me today, don't give up. I've got something for you. I, I, what I really like is that Ehud trusts in the Lord, not his own strength and his own ability. He said, follow me, for the Lord has given me victory over Moab, our enemies. I just... I find it so difficult in life. People that are so full of themselves, they say, oh, you know what? I, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do something else. They, they think, they think they're so full of themselves, they think that they're what other people need. But you know what I find? I find people that God uses the most simply says, I don't know if God could use this. I don't know if God could use this story. I don't know if God could use what I've been through. I don't know if God could use this gift, this talent, but if he could, 
I would love for him to use it because I know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by his spirit. Think about your life where you are. It's not, it's not in the moments that when you were great and grand and glorious. It was those times when the God was more real to you. So when you felt like a failure, nobody cared, nobody loved, nobody understood. It's at those times the Lord comes along beside you and he lets you know how important you are. And here's another thing you got to realize. This happened with Ehud, that you don't depend on people to choose you. Because if he was chosen, if he was on a ballot for a leader, choose Ehud or Ben Rabbi or Sue Rabbi, they would have never chosen Ehud. Some of you are waiting for people to choose you. But do you remember the verse that we read at the very beginning? Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called. I didn't see many of the brightest in the best, not the influential, not people from high society. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chooses men and women that the culture overlooks, exploits, and abuses? What is it that you feel has disqualified you? The enemy has told you over and over and over, God could never use you. You've blown it. There was a time in your life that God could have used you, but not now. Because of your sin, you've disqualified yourself. What is it that's caused you to count yourself out. Maybe something from your past. Maybe abuse. Maybe a shameful act that you did. And you feel because of that you can't be used of God. Can I be honest with you today? There are things in my life when I look at my past, and I'm not saying years ago, okay? Let's get real. There are things in my life that I look and I think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? That's terrible. Because that's where we all are. What are those actions? What you did, what you said. And the enemy says, you can never be used of God. Thank you, God, for putting the story of Ehud in this today for us. To simply say, don't be counted out. I can still use you. But you know, the amazing thing and the scary thing is, if you don't obey God and allow God to use you, you know what he'll do? He doesn't stop his work. He just uses somebody else. Just uses somebody else. If Ehud had said, no, I'm handicapped. No, I don't, there's no way. Nobody ever chose me. Nobody ever wanted me. God would have just simply said, well, I'm hearing the prayers of my people and I'm going to use somebody and I'll use 
I'll use them. I'm going to tell you one of the reasons I'm standing here today, and the Lord told me this when we started the church 25 years ago. You're not the first person I called to do what you're going to do, but you're available. So I don't really have a whole lot to brag about. He's simply saying, the reason I'm going to use you is because you're available. You see, if you never give a dime to this church, this church is still going to go ahead and flourish and grow, but you're going to miss the blessing. You're going to miss the blessing. What a shame to live all of your life and hear the gospel and hear the truth, but count yourself out. It's not worthy. It's somebody that God couldn't use. Would you bow your head? Let me pray for you today. God, I think that I thank you today that you choose the nobodies, the leftovers, the people from the back of the line, and you're just waiting for us to say yes to you. I thank you that you take the shame of our life, the failures of our life, and you redeem them for your glory. So that when we're going through life and somebody will say, well, you don't know what I've been through. God could never use me. You're one of those people that say, oh yeah. God redeemed me, restored me, because I was at that same place that I felt like there was no hope. And maybe that's you today. You're here in this auditorium or you're online and you would simply say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to bring him my faults, my failures, my handicaps, the things that disqualify me for being used in the church world's eyes. And I want to surrender to God. I want him to use me. I want to fulfill my purpose in life. If that's you, would you let me pray for you today? That would be the greatest thing that, that, that I would love to do is to be able to pray with you. The only way I know I can do that is if you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, Terry, I'd love for you to pray with me today. I need to say yes to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand, make eye contact with me? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Others today who would say, yes, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm tired of being where I am. I'm tired of counting myself out and struggling in life, not having a purpose, a meaning. Thank you. Hands still going up. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Saying yes to Jesus, yes to his purpose. Others today, those of you that are online, just raise your hand right where you are. Let's pray this prayer. Pray this prayer with me today. 
Thank you, God, for including this story in the Bible. Because I can identify. I have disqualified myself. But today, I bring the shame and the failure to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Give me a second chance. A fresh start. A new beginning. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Church, would you celebrate with me today with those seven or eight people who raised their hands? Come on. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.